this week we are going to take a pause on our message series in the book of Acts, <clears throat> walking through that uh, just kind of chapter by chapter. And today we are going to look at a message called Thankful for Life. And I was thinking about it this past week, and as we were all probably stuffing our faces and <clears throat> enjoying our time uh, eating and getting together with friends and family and thinking about reflecting on what we're thankful for. And I was thinking about that this past week. Excuse me, I'm a little uh, stuffed up. It's been a, the beginning of the week I was sick. I've, I've kicked it, but I still have some remnants there. Um, but I was thinking about what I'm most thankful for. And this <clears throat> passage of scripture and a certain moment in my life um, came to mind. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The thing that I'm grateful for in life is that God does offer happiness. <laughs> he does offer peace and he has given that through Christ. And I reflect on my life and all that I'm thankful for, and that is at the top, that God has reached out and offered me peace and given me peace. And so that's what I'm most grateful about. And this passage of scripture in Luke chapter five is where we'll be reading today, um, plays a significant role in my life um, in that area. You know, the story of mankind <clears throat> from the beginning of time is seeking to find that happiness and that peace apart from God, right? That was no different for me in my life. Um, trying to find joy, trying to find ultimate peace, trying to find just my way forward in this life. <clears throat> but God used this passage of Scripture to draw me back, to remind me and to grip me. It was about 27, 28 years ago today um, that... Um, God pierced my mind. He pierced my heart. As I sat on a Wednesday night in a prayer meeting in a little church in Miami, North Miami, Florida. Um, it was my home church. It's where I'd grown up. My father was the pastor. But God had taken me on a, well, no, life had taken me on a journey um, from the time I had grown up in that church and had taken me away from there for several years. And I will get to that story in a little bit. But I was sitting there in that church pew, just a few pews uh, rose from the pastor that night. And um, I was not expecting what was about to happen as he shared. Um, God was getting ready to drop a bomb on me <laughs> that night. And um, Tony and I had not been going to church for years, really since we had gotten married, um, and we had just started to kind of peek back in the door here and there. Um, not sure exactly why. I'm not sure what I was looking for. I know now, but I didn't know then. But I knew I hadn't found it, and I had come back to my faith. I'd come back to, started to, to look at what I had been taught growing up and what I had heard and so with about 10 other people there on that Wednesday night, a couple little old ladies, the, the pastor's family, a couple men who knew me 
uh, growing up, knew me when I was a kid, knew about a lot of the rebellion I went through as a young man as well. We're sitting there, and the pastor opened up his Bible to this passage of Scripture and read from it. And so I'm going to read from it this morning. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. This is going to happen a lot today. <laughs> because this is, <clears throat> this is where God got a hold of me. They were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake, and uh, Lake Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked, he asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. <clears throat> and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who consistently speaks to us and speaks through your word. God, you have so much more to say today than I could ever that I could ever try in clever phrases or witty stories, God. Pierce our hearts, every one of us. Draw us closer to you. Wake us from the slumber that this world puts us into. God, speak to our hearts. We open them to you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so this event is a turning point in the life of Jesus. In chapter 4, just before this, Jesus had been going into the synagogue to teach, preaching and teaching the word, which was that's how it was done. It was done in the synagogue at that time, right? Religion was to be done in the religious building. But Jesus began to blow that up now. He goes and he gets in this boat and he starts to teach. See, part of his message is that God's will is for a relationship with you and me. It's not to be a box of religion. It's that we would reach beyond the walls of this gathering place, the walls of religion, and into our daily lives. And so he took his message of, uh, and his love into people's homes, into the rich, to the poor, the religious, the atheist, the agnostic, the prostitutes, the political leaders. Jesus took it, took it everywhere, teaching and preaching. He was teaching the word. He was proclaiming the word of God, right? How the prophecies had been fulfilled and that God wants a relationship and sent his son to give us that relationship. 
See, the, the religious people had set up a, a system, a religious system, right? And uh, Jesus was blowing their minds, especially these religious people, but all of us in, in that he wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. It's not some religious thing that you add to your life and it makes some things better and you have some events and some tradition to, to build your life around. No, it's, it's a relationship with the living God. And so Jesus is traveling. He's teaching. He's preaching. He comes to the Sea of Galilee here. It's this tropical, beautiful area. And it's, it's set in type, a type of a bowl. And it's a great place to teach. It's kind of an amphitheater right there. Mark Twain visited the Sea of Galilee back in 1867 and he wrote, In the starlight, Galilee has no boundaries but the broad compass of the heavens. And is a, there's a theater, meet for great events, meet for the birth of a religion able to save the world. Now he was agnostic, but he recognized in that place that was a beautiful place and it was an important place and in the life of Jesus and in his message. So an important location. And Jesus comes here intentionally. He had an eternal appointment with these fishermen. And so he comes here. And I believe he has an, an eternal appointment with you this morning and with me. See, Jesus always comes to us. He meets us even when we least expect it. And so he looks at Simon Peter and he says, take me out in the boat. And Jesus is about to crash into Simon's world and in his brother's lives. And so, as I mentioned before, God rocked my world with this passage years ago in a little church in North Miami. And in the next few moments, I want to share what Christ <clears throat> revealed to me through this passage. And the, this account that, I, that God knew that I would read that night and hear that night. And he knows that you're going to hear it today and that we're going to look at it. So make no mistake, this is God's story. So... First of all, God opened my eyes that night to the fact that life is about more than just security. It says there in verse 2, He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. See, Peter and his brother were hard workers, noble profession, fishermen. They're trying to pay the rent. They're, they're washing nets. They kept working. The crowds came. They were pressing in on Jesus. And these guys are washing their nets, Scripture tells us. They're going on with their business. They were all, everyone else was in awe of Jesus, and they didn't have time for that, right? They had stuff to do. They had finished an all-night shift, and another one was coming in a few hours. That is a dangerous place to be in life for all of us. I warn my kids sometimes as they're, when they're growing up, if you have children, you know, all of us are in a hurry to grow up. We're in a hurry to get out from under our parents, get out of the house. But the thing is, I try to warn them, and my dad tried to warn me, and it was a tough lesson to learn. But once you get out, once you grow up, there's bills to pay. You got to get a job. You got to start working. You, you get on the treadmill, and you start going, and life becomes about this tunnel vision of getting my stuff done, taking care of my responsibilities. There's no pause in that. There's no rest in that. You plan out a vacation, but you know, you know you're paying for that vacation the whole way. You got to get back to work, <clears throat> right? So we have to be careful. And at the, when I heard this passage the first time on that night, 27 years ago, Tony and I had been married for about five years. And I honestly, I never thought I would have a normal life. I just never expected that I would have 
really much good. I always thought somehow I would sabotage it or the world around me would sabotage it. I really did. But what I was searching for was some security. I was, I was searching for, you know what, if I could just have a decent job and just pay my bills. And that's something as a kid I could never even imagine I could do. It's like, that's what I needed. A career, a good job. I could say, yes, I've got it. I'm doing it. But I was never satisfied. You know, I got out of high school, I went to college, I played sports in college, and then I, I dropped out of college, and then I went in the Air Force and, and worked on airplanes there, and then by the time I got to the end of my commitment in the Air Force, I thought, you know what, I'm, I, need to, I need to do something else, and so I started working for the gas company and the sewer department. I was just looking, I was struggling, go back to school, I wasn't sure, but it was about security. I was trying to logically put things in my life that could satisfy that need for security. But what I was missing was meaning and purpose. What I was missing was faith. What I was missing was God. Listen, God has created every one of us. He's wired us to walk with him. That's why we're here. We're not here. I heard, uh, I think it was Charles Stanley one time. He said, just think if we're just made to be born and then have relationship or whatever and then get a job and work really hard so we can have some decent things and then get a good retirement and then wait to die. What a pity. What a shame. That is not why we were created. It's not just to be safe or just make ends meet or to just take what I can get. You know, in New York City, it's just like, if I can just pay the, pay the rent. <laughs> and when you sign another lease, some of you know, when you get to that next lease and you can sign another lease, it's like, Wow, I made it another year. Awesome. If I could just survive, I could just stay here. James Collins wrote, The greatest enemy of great is good. And God has created every one of us to live a great, abundant, beautiful life. My goals are always less, so much less in comparison to God's purpose and plan for my life. And in my life, I was stuck. I was stuck on that treadmill and I had been... I've been going, trying to figure out every little thing. Let's see if I can just get this one more job. If I could just do this or do that, I'll be okay. And we look at this passage of scripture. We see Simon, these other fishermen, just like many of us, getting it done. We're created for more. And so some of you may say, no way, no way. I'm not settling for secure. I don't care about that. What I want is to chase my dreams. You know, that's what New York is full of people chasing their dreams, right? I'm going to make something of myself. Well, that takes us to the second point, the second thing that God taught me that night. Life is about more than my dreams. In verse 6, it said, When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is a dream catch for these guys. This is like huge. They'd never seen it. It said they were amazed. They all looked at it in amazement. You know, Tim Keller talks about what idolatry is, is taking uh, a good thing and turning it into an ultimate thing. Dreams are not necessarily a bad thing. Goals are not necessarily a bad thing. But when they become the ultimate thing, when they are here and we try to figure out how to fit God in, maybe... They're empty. They are idols and they will destroy us. Your idols destroy you. You will destroy the thing that you idolize 
whether it's your career, whether it's school, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, if they are above God, eventually you will crush it. It's like a, a little cartoon when I was a kid, the, the big uh, bear or whatever, he had a little friend. He goes, this is my little friend. I'll rub him and cuddle him and hold him and he just kills it, right? That's what we do when we idolize things. That's how we're wired because we're wired to have God as first and foremost. So these guys were fishermen. They, ca- they had the catch of a lifetime. They took it, they tried to take it to shore. They were sinking. Sometimes when I'm fishing, I'll dream, you know, because I don't catch many fish. Sometimes I'll dream that if I, I think, man, if I could just snap my fingers and all the water would be gone, then I could see where the fish are. <laughs> I thought for sure they were right here. They're never right there. We all dream. We all have aspirations. We drift sometimes. We want to be successful. That's, that's a God-given thing. We want to thrive in life. This time in my life when Tony and I, and I'm sitting there in this church, you know, I had certain goals, I had certain dreams, and they weren't big. I thought they were totally achievable. I just wanted, like, if we could have a house, if we could have, if I, I honestly, to get specific, I just wanted a truck, a pickup truck, a nice pickup truck, and a boat. I just imagine, like, a bass boat on the back or a whatever, just a, a truck and a boat. You laugh at that, but that's, I, I honestly thought that. If we had a nice house, a boat, and I'm, I don't need a lot. I would be happy. I, at this point in our life, I had just applied. I'd gotten out of the military, and I was working at uh, some, like I said, the gas company and some other things, and I just wasn't satisfied. And somebody told me about this uh, opportunity to apply for the uh, air conditioning pipe fitters union. And it was this system where if you, if you tested in there and you got that opportunity, you'd be like an apprentice and you'd make like 15 bucks an hour for a certain many years. Then you go to 20 and 25, 35. My cousin had been doing it. I was like, that's it. That will, that's, would be awesome. So I took the test. And in Dade County, they had 800 people take the test. 80 people got chosen. I got a letter. I got chosen. I was like, yes, showed my in-laws, my parents, everybody, look at this, this is awesome. I was dreaming about that, and I got it. And I remember thinking as I listened to these verses, as God began to... Grab hold of me. It's like like what Jesus did for these guys. You want fish? I I can fill your nets up with fish. That's nothing. That's easy. I can do that. But it's not what you were created for. And I remember thinking, as I began to get confused, like, I got this. I thought it was a God thing, you know. I had started praying a little bit by then. I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, this is a God thing. And I got it, and then God was saying, nope, I got something else. It's like, what? (laughs) Why would you do that to me? (laughs) He did it so he could show me. I can do that. But what I have for you is much Greater. That's what Jesus did for me. I thought I had the perfect job, but that still wasn't it. Let me ask you this morning, what comes to your mind when you think of, when your dreams come to your mind? When you think of satisfaction, you think of success, you think of, you know what? If I could just get to this point, if I can get this, accomplish this, this, and this, my life, or if I get to this point, I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied, that'll, that'll do it. Think about that for a second. We all have some of those things in our mind. 
Got it? Okay. Here's a word from God this morning. It won't. You get it. It won't. There'll still be a struggle there. There'll still be a dissatisfaction there. Jesus was saying, this is what you think you want. I'm going to give it to you and then show you that that's not really what you want. You know, in New York City, like I said, people are running. I always say people are running for something or away from something. They come to New York City to find acceptance, find a community, no judgment here. They left the South or wherever they live, the family, whatever. They come here, they can blend in, they can find a community. There's every representation here. They can find some, some, some love, right? Or they're running towards something, trying to be successful. The best of the best are here in just about every category. Yes, I want to get that. But listen, both of those things end in the same place. Both of those things end in an empty place. If it's not in Jesus, you get to that place where you're like, yes, I'm surrounded by people who affirm me and love me and care for me. And then you think, you know what? It's just, this is not it. Or you get that big job and we've got millionaires jumping out of buildings all over the city. It doesn't, that's not it. Jesus says, I can do that, but you were created for so much more than that. <clears throat> and it's not that our dreams are bad things. These men, these fishermen, they were fishing. They wanted to provide for their families. They wanted to, 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 to be successful at that. That's not a bad thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing in my life, when it takes center stage, then I'm headed for destruction. There is no dream or success story that can take place of what you were created for. I encourage you with that today. Jesus demonstrated these fishermen. He saw them. He saw them struggling. He, Peter said, we tried all night. We can't get any fish. He said, I can do that. He knew that they thought if they could just keep their nets full, everything would be okay. But they kept trying. They kept working. They kept hustling. Listen, no matter how noble your pursuit is in life, whatever the plan is, if it's not fueled and motivated with the understanding that God has a plan for me, for my family, he sees me, he knows me better than I know myself, he knows my pains, he knows my hurts, he knows my heartbreaks, he knows what, what is motivating me, he sees the end of my journey, whatever it is I'm pursuing, and he is calling me to more. He is calling you to let go of that this morning because you will never reach that apart from him. And he showed that to these men. He showed it to me that night. Jesus sees you today. He knows your dreams. He knows what you're motivated by. And he also knows what is true. The abundant life God wants to give you, he alone can give you, as C.S. Lewis said. So in my life, I'd set the bar pretty low, I guess, because of my background, because of where I grew up, because of we're all wired the, you know, a certain way because of our experiences. <clears throat> but see, what happens to all of us is this. We set a bar. We start searching and looking and running. What begins to happen is I begin to get disappointed. Little, little nicks in my heart and in my mind. I start getting disappointed in life. That I can't really achieve my dreams. That I can't find success. And then I go into cruise control just a little bit, right? I get restless and other things begin to creep in to my marriage, to my job, to my free time. 
I shared this last week and it's such a powerful statement. I'm bringing it back this week as it fits right here. Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go to the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. What's he saying? You're living a life of quiet desperation, hopelessness, and you say, you know what, maybe it's not the city, maybe it's the country. Let me go to the country. You know what, maybe it's a hunting. Maybe I just, if I get a hobby or something I can do. No, nothing, nothing. <clears throat> nothing takes the place of that relationship. It's all, it's all wanting. And so here's the thing, God knows your dreams. He has a solution for you. And that takes me to the next point. Life is about more than my perspective. In verse 8, it says, when, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Jesus changes my perspective to him. When my eyes get off the things of the world and get on Jesus, that is the first and foremost step in finding happiness and finding peace in this world. See, Peter and Andrew had met Jesus before this interaction in John chapter 1. And in that interaction, they addressed him as teacher. They saw him as a teacher. Many had come and gone and seen him as a teacher, a carpenter. He's from Joseph's family. They just came to him out of curiosity. <clears throat> Peter was a fisherman. So initially, you can understand his hesitance. This is what I do, man. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. You're telling me, you're a carpenter or whatever. You, you're telling me how to fish? When my leg breaks on, on the stool or something, you, then you can tell me something, but this is what I do. But something happened as he in, really encountered Jesus. Something happened. He took a step of faith. And that's, that's what Jesus calls us to do. To take a step of faith. He says, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes we say, yeah, I want what God wants. Yeah, whatever. No, he says, when you seek me with all your heart, because you don't really seek him. In verse 5, you see at the beginning of this passage, he calls him master. But master, we have, we have been fishing all night, blah, blah, blah. That word interpreted is epistatachi. Epistatache, which translated is teacher. That's the original Greek. But then after in verse 8, it's an it's a important shift. He calls him Lord, kurios, supreme authority, master, God. Listen, underneath all your hesitancies, under all our hesitancies about trusting Jesus with every part of our lives is a power struggle over your dreams really is what it is. It's giving up control. And you're like, mm, no, not really ready to give up control. Tim Keller gave an illustration once of the musical Carousel. I don't know if anybody has seen that, but Carrie Pippridge at one point, one of, the, one of the characters there is singing, is sitting and singing about uh, her dream to be married and to have kids. It's called When the Children Are Asleep, this song. It says, when the children are asleep, we'll sit and dream the things that every other dad and mother dream. 
See, the problem with that is unless Jesus is first and foremost, that won't satisfy. That dream is empty. For you and for me, our perspectives that we're coming at life with is you and me. But God sees more. God sees all. And he calls us to put our faith in his perspective, which is greater than our dreams. God tells Abraham, sacrifice your son. God, Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell all your possessions. What, what is God doing? He is coming for your heart. That's what he's coming for. Not your stuff, not your religion. None of this. He wants you because he created you and loves you. And he knows what is best for you. Without Jesus at the center of my life, I'm fighting a losing battle. In my life at this time, 28 years ago, 27 years, I had prayed a prayer, but I had, I had slid away. I had slowly started to chase the things of the world. Life took over faith. When my life was in shambles, I began to realize all I had left was Christ. All I had left, everything else had run away or betrayed me. I had betrayed myself over and over again. All I had left was this, this Jesus I had been taught about as a child. He was still there calling me. He stood there with open arms. Maybe that was the problem for me. Maybe I was a little privileged because I'd grown up knowing that God loved me, hearing that God loved me. Like a, like a child who knows their love, knows they have unconditional love. We get a little, we get a little spoiled. We get a little... We take it for granted. We run off to the pig pen. And we were struggling at this time. Tony was pregnant. <clears throat> I was struggling, I was, I was uh, going out, I was doing what I wanted to do, and our marriage was falling apart. And it, it, it wasn't, you know, sometimes we think about a movie and how it's just so dramatic. You know, it, it's that little drip, just slowly. Took God, just kind of put him over here, and started to live our lives. And then slowly, but surely, we got in a fight one night. And I ran off to Orlando. I just jumped in the car and said, I'm out of here. We're living in Miami. I said, I'm out. So I left. I just started driving a couple hours. I, got to, I didn't know where I was going. I got to Orlando, a hotel there, and I just pulled in. I asked for a room. I got a room. I sat down, and I found some paper in the thing and a pen, and I just started writing. Really, I was mad at God. All the stuff I had learned as a kid at that moment was just annoying because it kept whispering to me. It kept speaking to me. I was like, Okay, I get it. It's not, that's not it. So I started writing a letter to God. I don't have that letter. I wish I knew where it was. But I started writing pages and pages. It's like, well, what about this? And what about that? And I tried this. I tried that. Why is this happening? Slowly but surely, over a couple days, running around in Orlando and then starting to come back, I just started coming back on A1A on the beach. And I'd stop on the beach and just sit there and just writing. And it was like a prayer. And it turned into just like, God, I need help. I need you. Help me. If this is real, I need it all. If you are real, I need all of you. And I ended up coming back to, to Miami and I ended up standing on the front porch of our little duplex there. And Tony was not going to let me in <laughs> and did not let me in. <clears throat> I think back now and our neighbors are probably all peeking through their little windows because I was, we were talking through the door. 
But I told her, I told her about this little adventure I'd been on. I was like, I, I started praying and God just started getting a hold of me. God started reminding me of his word. And I said, you know, our only hope is that we would give our lives to Christ and walk with him. We have to put him as Lord in our life. And it's so interesting because in the years before that, I grew up in church. I was a preacher's kid. Tony did not. And during the time I was in the Air Force and, and worked these other jobs, she started to go to like little Bible studies. And like, what are you doing? Oh, this little group of women get together and have a Bible study. I was like, okay. You don't know what you're doing. I mean, I, I came from that. I know about all that. And she's like, I just want to go. I'm just curious. She started going. She, she was a Christian, accepted Christ as a child. But she, this hunger, I saw this hunger in her. And I was not there to lead her, right? I was like, okay, whatever. We'll try to go to church. We went to church. I'd sit there and go, yeah, it's, I hate the way they do this. <laughs> the pastor's mic's way too quiet. The color in here, they think this, you know, I'd grown up in that. So, and Tony was like, I could just, I look back now, I could see God. So when I told her that on the porch, the door flung open. She was like, okay, let's do it. And so we, I came in, we, we prayed together. We wept together. We, we agreed everything needs to change. I don't know what that means. We put Christ at the center. We needed him to guide us. We didn't know what that was going to look like the next day or the rest of our lives, but we just knew that we needed to give our lives to him and set him at number one. And so my question to you this morning is, who is Jesus to you and where is he in your life? Peter, Peter knew enough to know that the Messiah was to come from God to bring salvation. And he still had a lot to sort out. But at that moment, he understood, like the Apostle Paul, the scales fell off. In that moment, he realized Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior from Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for you and for me and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He realized who Christ was and his perspective changed of who Jesus was. And Peter's perspective changed of himself, his own brokenness, his own sin, his need for a Savior. Peter dropped to his knees, it says, and repented and put his faith in Christ and Jesus' loving response was, I told you, if you would drop the net. I told you. No, no. Jesus' loving response was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All of that guilt, all of that shame, I'm taking care of that. You can't take care of that. I have a plan for you. Jesus could have let him grovel there, but he said, I'm not here to destroy you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. I remember my brother one time when I had, <clears throat> he was my party buddy. I remember when God got a hold of my life and straightened my life out, he was telling me, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this? Like, what does God want from me to walk around every day going, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I was like, listen, he wants you, man. That's, he wants your heart. He wants me. So we prayed, we set Christ at the throne of our relationship, of our marriage, of our own hearts personally. And then this prayer meeting happened. And then this moment where the pastor was reading from this passage of scripture, sitting in that prayer meeting that night, I realized that all my plans, all my dreams and schemes were lacking because they were all built on my perspective and my dreams 
And when it says that God demonstrated his love for me in sending Jesus, he's telling me I can trust him because he loves me. And I realized that. When I, when I saw Jesus tell Simon, do not fear, and loving him, and I have a plan for, for you, I thought, God, is that me? Is that, is that true for me? God is gracious. He's reaching out to you today. Do you understand how God feels about you? I know it's hard to grasp because of this world. Everybody disappoints. You may have somebody in your life and you think, no, they're pretty perfect. No, they're not perfect. We all disappoint. God loves you unconditionally. I remember Billy Graham, one of the things he used to say, he said, if you don't remember anything else I say tonight, remember this, God loves you. That's important because it takes us from this position, which I was in when I started writing that letter, get off of me. I don't need the guilt. I don't need, I don't need all of that. It takes me from that position to this position. Okay. Whatever you want, whatever your plan is, have that. My friend told me once when here in New York City, the one thing that kept him from coming to Christ was that he thought God hated him. And he was like, I hear your story, but mine's a lot messier than that. <clears throat> when he realized that God did not hate him, he put his faith in Christ and it, Jesus changed everything. So God sees you. He loves you. That's why he continues to reach out to you. That's why this morning he's reaching out to you again. This is not just for a lost person that knows, doesn't know Jesus. It's for Christians every day of our lives. We have a choice. Are we going to trust him or am I going to pursue the things of the world? Am I going to pursue the things that I can see, feel, touch, smell, taste? Or am I going to trust in him and his plan for me? If God's a partner or a co-pilot or a companion that you just take with you, it's, it's not going to work. He wants the throne of your heart and life. Surrender your brokenness. Surrender your sin. Surrender your future, your dreams, your relationships. <clears throat> that takes me to the last point, and that is life is Christ. In verse 11, this, this verse changed my life. I, I burnt into my brain. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. These are fishermen. This is important catch for them. This is all that they had been pursuing. When they came to land, they left all of that. They didn't clean the fish. They didn't make a plan for the fish. It just says when they came to land, they left everything and followed him. When that pastor that night said that, he read that passage, he kept on talking. I didn't hear anything else he said. That passage was burning in my mind. Is that what you want from me, God? To, to surrender everything? After the service, I made a beeline to his office and I, I said, okay, man, this is what God's doing. He's telling me he wants me to let go of everything. I don't even know what that means, but I, I want to do that. He said, praise God, man. And he prayed with me. <clears throat> Tony and I, like I said, we had been experimenting. We had been seeing, okay, God, we want you at center. What do you want? But we weren't really sure what to do. That night, I realized it's just to lay everything on the altar and say, God, I can't figure it out. I know I don't have necessarily the plan, but I trust in you. 
If you do that, let me warn you, it probably won't look like anything you imagine. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling called to go to Ethiopia as a missionary or anything particular like that, or to be a pastor or a minister even in that night. I just understood God has a plan for me and he wants all of me. Whatever that meant, that's what I wanted. If you'll come to God with, a, with an honest prayer like that, God, I, I don't have everything figured out, but I want what you want from me. He hears that prayer. And it's a journey. It was for Peter. Remember, after he started following Jesus, he failed a few times. He cut the soldier's ear off. He was always running ahead of the game. He denied Jesus. Remember that? <clears throat> but Jesus was gracious. Jesus grew him, loved him. But it begins by adjusting the pursuit of your life from what is secure, what, what might be good, what I dream would give me happiness, and following Jesus and putting him as Lord in your life, pressing into him. Listen, the number one goal in your life, the number one dream in your life is to know Jesus and to know his will for your life. J.D. Greer, pastor in the summit in North Carolina, he said this, if you would call yourself a Christian or follower of Jesus this morning, the requirement to be a follower of Jesus is total surrender. You have to let it all go. And that's where many of us falter. You're religious. You try to do the right thing. Religion is important to you. But have you ever taken your hands fully off of your life and just said, Jesus, my life is yours. Let this net represent your life. Have you ever spread it out before God and said, God, let this represent my talents, my dreams, my hopes, my decisions, my family? What do you want from them? I'm putting it here on the ground before you fill it with what you want. And you may say this morning, yeah, that sounds great, but you know what? I really don't care that much. I'm just going to kind of putter through life and try and make right decisions and it's all fine. But I would say that's a result of fear in your own heart because I know that fear, that fear of failure, that fear of trusting, that fear of being hurt, that fear of being made a fool of and yes, all of that is on the line. But the other option that I had adopted up until then is just white-knuckling your life, moving from disappointment to disappointment, punching your card at the fishing docks, trying to avoid pain, trying to bring home as much fish every day as you can, hoping God will be okay with me rejecting him when I stand before him one day, which will happen very soon for every single one of us in this room. And passing that attitude and that belief onto my spouse, onto my children, onto my friends, my coworkers, all my relationships, finding, organizing my life in such a way where I find like-minded people, like-minded men going through life with a quiet desperation. Listen, Jesus came to free you from that prison. Sometimes my kids will ask Tony and I to describe what our life looked like before we were walking with Christ, some of the details. Here's what you need to know. Exactly what, exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote. 
in First Timothy. He said, the saying is trustworthy, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. <clears throat> That's what I see as the call of my life. To lay my life before people, to lay the message that God has given us, the grace that he has shown, the mercy that he's shown me, to lay it before others and say, he works. <laughs> he's true. We encourage you to trust him today with your life. And that is something worth being thankful for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and grace. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that I remember like it was yesterday, that moment sitting on that third row and hearing this message, hearing your Holy Spirit speak to my heart, pricking my heart. When, when others sat there and maybe didn't have the same response, Lord, your Spirit was saying something to me very specific. And that is that I want all of you. This won't work with part of you or half of you. I want all of you and I will give you life. I will give you abundant, full life. And Lord, that's exactly what you've done. There's difficulty, there's doubts, there's struggle. But ultimately, God, I have peace because I know that you're trustworthy. I know that you've demonstrated over and over again your faithfulness. And I don't want to live life like, like this world lives it. I don't want to live life struggling, struggling to just pay the bills, struggling to just get a better job or get a boat in a, in a pickup truck. God, I want to live on a higher level of walking in peace. I want to share that with others around me. I want to pass that on to my children and my family. I want to pass that on to my neighbors. So God, I pray for every one of us this morning that you prick our hearts, that we would, we would see life is so short. And the meaning of life is walking with you. And you have a plan for every one of our lives. And so help us to trust you today, God. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.